This is Miss Val, the author of Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance, and I am on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Singh. Hey, this is James Oney on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Singh. Hi, this is Derek Cox, and it's been a pleasure being here on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Singh. What do Hall of Fame gymnastics coach Valerie Condos field? Football's Derek Cox and baseball's James Loney have in common? They all appeared on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern, and along with Lucy Seng, we thank Miss Val, Derek, and James for helping us kick off another season of conversations with elite athletes who prove once again that the traits of personality and character that made them elite athletes are the same ones that allow them to establish lives of meaning and purpose once their playing days are over. Lucy and I created this podcast because we are admirers of elite athletes and the challenges they face in making that often difficult transition at a young age to new challenges. After all, imagine the commitment, often since childhood, it takes to become the best in a sport, but then the realization that your time at the top of the mountain is so fleeting. So much of your life is ahead of you. What Lucy and I have found is that these elite athletes are elite people with stories we know you will find inspiring. We hope you enjoy this edition of After the Glory. Welcome to another edition of After the Glory. This is Gary Stern along with Lucy Sang. And today we have a very special guest, our first guest from the world of professional soccer. Amobi Okugo, not just a professional soccer player, he is also an entrepreneur and the founder of a financial literacy platform that we'll talk more about called A Frugal Athlete. Amobi is a first-generation Nigerian-American who is the oldest of four siblings, born in Hayward, California, raised in Sacramento, began playing soccer, as you would imagine, at a young age, and it was not long before he became a mainstay of the United States youth national teams from U14, that means under 14, to U23, the Olympic squad. He has been a professional soccer player since 2010 after being drafted as part of the Major League Soccer Generation Adidas class following his freshman year at UCLA, which is why, of course, he is in our season five UCLA athletes. Uh, he is one of the greatest soccer players uh, that the United States has produced. Uh, he was originally drafted with the sixth pick in the first round of the 2010 MLS Super Draft by the Philadelphia Union after a standout All-American season at UCLA. As part of Major League Soccer, he played for the Union, Orlando, teams in Kansas City and Portland, with the Austin, Texas Club of the United Soccer League. And we just learned he just retired from professional soccer to devote full-time to his various business ventures. Uh, Amobi is, was Parade Magazine's first team high school All-American. He was Pac-12 Freshman of the Year in 2009, uh, recognized as an All-American by the NCAA. He was his team's MVP in 2013, Team Defender of the Year in 2012, and, and in 2013 and 14, part of the top 24 under age 24 uh, with the MLS. He has played over 200 competitive games uh, and was part of the 2012 Olympic squad. He is that rare and wonderful athlete who, while pursuing his soccer career, also pursued his greater education. In fact, he'll tell us that his parents only allowed him to leave UCLA because uh, of the uh, fact that he was going pro and was going to continue his education. 
Amobi, it is great to have you on After the Glory. No, thank you guys so much for having me. And I hope, I wish you guys can intro me anytime <laughs> I do something because that was the best intro I've ever received. And uh, I'm really fortunate to be on your guys' platform. And that list hasn't even ended yet. Let's just say there's a bunch of accolades from the off the field side of things too. Yeah, and then we haven't even touched on that, but we will. Amobi, uh, I have a kind of a different question to start us off. Uh, football is considered quote-unquote America's sport, meaning the NFL. Uh. Baseball is America's national pastime, quote-unquote. If I say soccer is, how would you complete that sentence? Great question. I would say soccer is the melting pot of the future of what America can be. Mm. Oh, that Tell is- us more. Tell us more. So, you know, everyone, you know, the American dream, American culture is a blend of all the different cultures that come into the United States. Uh, you know, whether you're first generation, second generation, ancestors have, you know, been here for quite some time. Soccer is the global game. And when it comes mm. to, you know, the epitome of America, soccer is that, in my opinion, that glue that can bring the old and the new, uh, the West and the East, the North and the South. The game that anyone can play, you don't have to have crazy technical ability to start. Um, so it's not like you have to, uh, in, a, in a sense of, you got to have all this technical skill, or you have to, have to have to have all this money, or you have to be in a certain demographic. No, all you need is a ball and a field, and you can get it done. So for me, I think that's why soccer is the future of America, and it's a, a melting pot of you know everything that's what's good about America. Mm, love it. I, I think uh, the MLS and all the above have to give you a little uh, shout out for making that their tagline of the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. So 2026 is around the corner. And I think you guys, I, I mean, you guys are involved in the sport and know about it, but that's going to be like, we're here, the we're here moment. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, love it. Uh, first generation Nigerian American. I assume that your parents um, brought with them a little bit of love of soccer that passed on to you at a young age. When did you start playing and did you have siblings? Uh, tell us a little about the early days. Yeah. So I'm the oldest of four siblings. And when I was younger, it was, you know, everyone asked me, how did I get involved in soccer? It was by, it was by force. You know, my dad used to take me to the park and just, we would just play until I started crying and I wanted to go home. You know, <laughs> all my uncles played when the world cup came around in 96 and then the Olympics Oh, sorry. In the World Cup in 94, the Olympics in 96, you know, we weren't cheering for the States. We were cheering for Nigeria. And I was so young at the time, like I could barely recall, but I just remember a lot of people at my family's house uh, cheering and cussing and uh, <laughs> jubilating. And uh, and it's just continued since then. It's not a sports gathering if you're not cheering and cussing, huh? <laughs> yeah, facts. <laughs> Amobi, can you tell us? kind of what time of your life did you realize that you could possibly go pro? So for me, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, you play, you know, for, you know, to build friendships, to stay fit, you know, to stay, you know, active. And, you know, that's how it just started playing for the school team. And then, you know, I was, I developed a little bit faster than other people and I was, you know, pretty good. And people would always come up to my parents, like, make sure you keep him in the sport. He's going to go far. He's going to go far. And it was just like, all right, maybe he's going to get a scholarship or something. But it wasn't until I got invited to the residency program where I was like, okay, this is like within an arm's reach of potentially being able to go pro. And then for context, residency is the U17 national team program uh, based in Bradenton, Florida. It's no longer uh, 
in uh, function right now, but um, because of the way the US soccer system works. But at the time, that was like the pinnacle of youth development as a young player in the States. Did you play on your high school team? I played freshman year and then I went uh, to residency. Yeah. And, wow. and so so in the Sacramento area, how do you get discovered? In other words, there are probably a lot of good players, but you are elite and there's only a small number out of all the kids who play soccer who get to that elite status. What was it that attracted the attention of people to be so that you were invited to residency? Yeah, so I was fortunate enough to try out for the ODP team at the time. So it starts off with the district team, so Sacramento, and then you go from district to state team. So California is so big, so they divided to Cal North and Cal South. So I made it to the Cal uh, North team. From the Cal North team, I made it to the region, regional team, which is the Western Division. And then I ended up being one of the top players in the regional team. And then that's when I got invited to the very first U14 national team camp for my age group, which is the 1991 age group. And then you know, kept being part of the cycle from U14 to U15. And then once uh, the U17 roster hit for residency, I was one of the people that got invited for my for my uh, age group. There is there is so much rich and wonderful um, uh, information to learn about Amobi. And when we come back, we'll get into the world of professional soccer and academics and advancement. When we come back on After the Glory, this is Gary Stern with Lucy Singh and our special guest, Amobi Akugo. Hello, this is Dean, third generation owner of Sarah Leonard Fine Jewelers. We are located near UCLA in the heart of Westwood Village, where we have been since 1946. For 74 years, my family has stood for the highest standards of knowledge and integrity and are proud members of the prestigious American Gem Society. But it is our personal touch that truly makes us a cut above. Client relationships last for decades and generations. With six UCLA alumni, the family has supported UCLA for decades, including the famous Sarah Leonard Jewelers Watch Giveaway. For diamonds and colored gems, designer collections and estate jewelry, watches, custom design, and gorgeous gifts starting under $100, it's all here at Sarah Leonard Fine Jewelers. Mention the code GLORY and get 20% off your first purchase, plus a 10% UCLA discount on all future purchases. Call 310-208-3131 today for your appointment or visit us at sarahleonardjewelers.com. Free parking available. Again, call 310-208-3131. Use the code GLORY and experience the Sarah Leonard difference for yourself. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Lucy Sang with Gary Stern and our special guest, Amobi Akugo. Amobi, we're going to jump right into the process of going from a teenager to being at a large campus, well, kind of small campus, but large campus at UCLA, but you didn't stay long. Tell us about that process. Um, you know, you were obviously at the pro level already. What made you go to a university before, you know, going on to even more pro experiences? Yeah, so for me, uh, you know, I mentioned I'm first generation Nigerian American. So my parents are very big on education. There's like three jobs you're allowed to get as the uh, as a Nigerian American lawyer, doctor, engineer. Sounds and familiar. I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard <laughs> that before. Um, so they were big on education, using sports as a vehicle to you know go to a top school. Uh, for, uh, unfortunately, my parents wanted me to go to like you know Ivy League or Stanford. Uh, but as you guys know, once you get on UCLA's campus, it's over. So yeah. that was the worst mistake that my parents allowed me to do going on an official visit. Cause once I was there, I was not choosing any other school. And I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to at least, you know, if I go pro before, if I go pro after, at least I can say, I can always go back to UCLA. Um, mm -hmm. so that was the initial thought. And 
you know, my coach at the time at UCLA, he, he jokes, he said, he recruited me for three years and I only give him three months, but uh, <laughs> it, it all worked out for the better. And I'm happy to say I'm, I'm part of UCLA alumni, even though it's for such a short time. Love it. Can you tell us a little more about the recruiting process? What, what is it like in the soccer world? Yeah. So in the soccer world, it's a little different because um, there's different rules around it, you know, in terms of how early they can reach out to you. So because I was part of residency, it was a little bit easier in the sense of like, I didn't have to actively, you know, go out and like, I guess. Send tape name, and stuff yeah, like send that. tape or put my <laughs> name out there. So I started getting letters and then, you know, being part of the national team, there'd be uh, some of the coaches that we were interested in or that some of the top schools would be where we were at. And then once it was, once I was eligible to be contacted, you know, some of the schools that contacted uh, contacted and then I set up my unofficial visits and my official visits and from there uh, made my decision. I was kind of late in the process of deciding and mm. it was interesting because there I don't want to say some of the schools are trying to like force my hand but they're like we, we're holding the scholarship this full ride for you but if you don't decide we need to move on and because yeah. I had a little bit of leverage I, I could take my time and yeah I ended up being like a late uh, I, I committed late, to be honest, in the process compared yeah. to some other guys in my position. What, what did you think of the UCLA experience? Brief as it was, it still made an impact on you. What did you think of it? Oh, yeah, I want to change it for the world. You know, uh, if you have the opportunity to go to a prestigious school like UCLA, one that, you know, values education, values uh, entertainment, and not in the sense of like parties and stuff, but just the culture of what UCLA is about, you know, strong network, and then location. I mean, you can't beat the location. There's only like three schools I might put from a location standpoint that tops UCLA. Um, maybe Pepperdine, um, maybe uh, like USD, but yeah. UCLA from a combination of all the factors that you want to consider for going to school, uh, it's, it's number one. Amen. And, uh, and then what happened what was the, the the impetus for going pro? Was it was it being drafted in the MLS? What 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 was the actual process that happened that led you to leave UCLA to go pro? So to be honest, it happened all very quickly. You know, fortunate during my time at UCLA, we had a very good year. Uh, we had a great uh, strong freshman class and a strong senior class. We ended up making it to the elite eight, and I think because of my history as part of the youth national teams and then having a good season, you know, agents and clubs. <laughs> started reaching out and it was an opportunity through the generation Adidas contract, which entices younger underclassmen to go pro at an earlier age uh, with, you know, more incentives. Uh, it just made sense for me at the time to strike while the iron is hot because I already went to UCLA. I could always come back. And uh, yeah, that was kind of it. So yeah, 12 years later, uh, it, it, I, I, I'm happy with my decision. Well, you know, something uh, our, our audience now will be amazed when I share this, through all those years of playing pro soccer, Amobi graduated magna cum laude in 2017 with a bachelor's degree in organizational leadership and development with a minor in business administration from the University of Louisville. He also completed a master's in sports law from the Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law at Arizona State University and attended uh, an, uh, a UCLA MBA Reardon Fellowship Program. Um, all of that while playing pro soccer. 
How the heck did you do that? <laughs> Thank you so much. So the only reason I was allowed to go uh, pro was promising my parents that I would uh, finish school. Um, so, you know, I did the slow and steady process, two classes per semester, sometimes three when I could squeeze it in. And uh, yeah, slow and steady it took me about six, seven years to get the bachelor's. And then from there, the master's. Uh, obviously, I didn't finish it at UCLA because of, you know, logistics and having to come back uh, during the off season and with the tri trimester um, schedule, it wouldn't have made sense. But hopefully, you know, if you guys could put the good word in, you know, I can go to UCLA MBA executive program or something like that. Because Gary uh, and I have a lot of say in that, right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll do you our best. We'll do our best. You guys got the plug. I know. We'll do our best. <laughs> well, Moby, I, I really want to ask you, like, what does a day in the life in Moby's world look like? Like, how do you be a professional athlete and be a professional student, essentially? Yeah, so time blocking. So I think that was by my biggest uh, contributor. And, you know, student athletes are we already have this trait because we do it like from our young ages in high school, playing sports and doing school and, you know, competing at a high level. But I just like took what I learned from those principles early on and just kept it going in my professional career and a lot of discipline, you know, a lot yeah. of focus, focus management with, you know, I don't want to say there's distractions, but as a professional athlete, there's a lot of other things that we can be doing with our free time. Mm -hmm. I just chose to focus it on investing in myself and my education. And then now I'm able to, you know, if I was done playing now, then I had to go back to school. I'm not saying I would have to go back to school, but it would take a lot of my time um, away from things that I want to do that I'm um, doing now. And Moby, for our listeners, tell us a little more about what time blocking is as quickly as possible. Oh, no, most definitely. So time blocking is basically setting aside time or a task for a specific period of time. So instead of trying to do everything at once, it's like, all right, from three to four, I'm just going to focus solely on making content. And then from five to six, I'm going to going to do my reading in like six to seven. So I did time blocking from a, uh, an hour by hour standpoint, but also a day by day standpoint. So mm. for example, on Mondays and Tuesdays, I'm doing strictly school stuff on Wednesdays and Thursdays. I'm doing strictly a frugal athlete stuff and just making sure that I'm not getting convoluted or over overwhelmed by the task and the many things that I'm doing. That's some real discipline right there. When we come back on after the glory, we'll talk a little more about the uh, sort of the emotional and mental side of being a pro athlete, uh, the process of deciding to retire, and then the entrepreneur work that Amobi is doing. When we come back on After the Glory, this is Gary Stern with Lucy Seng and our very special guest, uh, national and international soccer player, Amobi Akugo. This is Daryl Wayne here to talk to you about the co-creator and co-host of After the Glory, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern. When Gary's not talking to elite athletes, you can usually find him doing what he's been doing for almost 45 years, navigating the world of government. As a college student and young professional, Gary helped folks deal with federal and state agencies through his work as a caseworker with a local congressman and state senator. That work prepared Gary for a career as a consumer lawyer. Today, Gary still helps people in all walks of life but his passion nowadays is his service as a mediator, mostly in cases like the ones he's been handling for over four decades, where people have been injured in accidents or in connection with their employment. You can learn more about Stern Law, the law offices of Gary N. Stern at his website, www.sternlaw.org, that's S-T-E-R-N, or you can call him at 818-710-2717, that's 818-710-2717. And we're back on After the Glory. 
This is Gary Stern with Lucy Singh and our special guest, Amobi Okugo. Amobi, I'm curious about something involving soccer that we've asked almost every athlete that we've talked to over these last four seasons, now five. The, the adrenaline rush of playing in front of a lot of people. You've played international soccer. Americans may have a tough time understanding this, but it is virtually a religion in many parts of the world, and especially in large stadiums. Tell us what that's like and, and how that fuels the ability to succeed when you're playing in front of 100,000 people. Yeah, it's a different experience. And like you said, it's it's almost like a religion in the sense of there's so much history behind, you know, the soccer experience and why clubs have formed, why clubs have started, the community aspect behind it. You know, when you go to a, like a top game, you'll understand why it will give you chills. And, you know, being able to play in those environments, there's no excuse to not get motivated, not only for yourself, but when you go to a game and you're seeing Fans have tattoos of the club and players, <laughs> and you're like, "Is it really that serious?" And it's like on no, their no. faces. Yeah, no, it, it, it it really is that serious, and you know, it's just a testament to how soccer really is the global game because of the you know the synergy between you know, like you said, body, soul, community, and history, and everything that you know comes with it. After 200 competitive games, or more than 200. Um, you decided to uh, retire, and I'm curious if the that that adrenaline, that excitement, is something that you feel you're going to have to work at to say goodbye to as you go forward in life. Is that a do you anticipate that to be a hard thing? That, that not performing in front of people like that? Oh, most definitely. So, you know, I think that's why a lot of athletes struggle with their transition because they're unable to find their second game, that 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 next thing that gives them that adrenaline, that competitive nature, that locker room aspect. And a lot of times, you know, the best athletes are able to transition and find something that can give them something close to that. Um, but for a lot of athletes, it takes a while or they never end up finding that that adrenaline rush that soccer or basketball or whatever sport that they had played previously uh, gives them. Amobi, I think you just came up with your book title, The Second Game. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I so tell us a little more about your personal kind of retirement process since you just shared that news with us. Well, I, I imagine someone like you have been thinking about it for a little bit. And you also shared that you're excited about some of the uh, upcoming adventures that you have planned. Tell us more. Yeah. So it, it's tough because no athlete like it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like happily retire. It just kind of happens. You know, at, at one point you just you just know uh, whether mm. it's by force or whether it's by decision, you just know. And it's never really how you sh shape it out to be. It's like, all right, I'm going to win this trophy and then that's when I'm going to retire or I'm going to try to reach this milestone and then that's when I'm going to retire. And for very few people, that's what happens. Uh, but for me, it was more of a. I was getting to the point where some of the stuff that I was doing off the field was, you know, taking more of my time in the sense of like, oh, I can't do this because I have a game or I can't do this because I have practice. And it was getting to the point where I was trying to figure out ways to make it to the things off the field than on the field. So when that came about, it was like, all right, let me start, you know, working out a contingency plan to, you know, make this transition smooth. Before we, 
leave the, the field, uh, 2012 Olympics. Um, tell us about that experience and maybe weave into there the Olympic movement itself. Where is it? What do you think of it? What was your experience like? Yeah, so my experience was an uh, interesting one. So we had a, a great team at the time, and, you know, at the time it was considered a, a really good uh, generation of U.S. talent, um, but we failed to, you know, get over the final hurdle and we didn't qualify for the Olympic bid. And what's what's ironic or what stings the most is that prior to the Olympic qualifying, uh, we played Mexico uh, and beat them handily, beat them 3-0 at home. And we were very confident, um, maybe too overconfident as we led into the qualifiers, but we ended up not qualifying. And then London 2012 Olympics, Mexico, the team we beat, a lot of the same players, uh, they ended up getting gold. You know, they beat Brazil. So it's a what, what could have been moment. But for me personally, you know, it's always an honor to represent your crest, always an honor to represent your country. I definitely think, you know, with especially the U.S. men's soccer team, definitely need to put more resources and more priority on, you know, representing the Olympics because out of the last three or last four, we've only qualified once. So um, hopefully we can turn that around. So this is something that I'm unfamiliar with uh, that when you compare to other sports, you, you associate a sport with, oh, if I'm good enough, I'm going to the Olympics, but there's a qualifying process. Is that because of the sheer number of countries that play the sport and they're just not enough spaces at the Olympics. I, why are countries and teams that would like to go prevented from going because of a qualifying process? Yeah. So it's basically just to, um, to fill the slots. So for example, you just have to have the qualifying process and it's almost like the best teams within the region or the regions uh, then kind of make up the Olympic uh, brackets. And the other thing I think our, our listeners might want to hear about they hear sometimes the negative part of the sport relative to fans being over exuberant. Is that mm -hmm. overblown or is that a serious problem that has to be dealt with? No, I think it's a serious problem. Uh, and you brought up a great point. You know, there's, there are different things from fan violence to, you know, uh, homophobic comments to racist comments that definitely need to be weeded out of the game. And I think because soccer is so passionate, people tend to lose themselves in the sport. Not to say that all all fans are uh, needed to be apprehended, but there is a problem within um, some fan communities that definitely need to be punished. And um, yeah, I think that's a great point that you bring up. Not to say that you shouldn't go to a game because you, you should fear for your life, but there are certain situations that, like any 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 sport, um, you know, that you got to look out for. Let's come back uh, for one more segment and talk us about some really important things, not just what a movie is doing um, off the field and how he is clearly going to make the world a better place, but some other thoughts about the athlete in today's America. When we come back on After the Glory, this is Gary Stern with Lucy Singh and our special guest, Amobi Okugo. Hey, this is Lucy Sang from Resiliency Coaching. I am a certified mental performance coach focused on working with athletes transitioning into life after the glory days of sports. I help like-minded people become high performers and thrive in all areas of life. My goal is to serve as your accountability partner and offer different perspectives as you make tough decisions. Learn more about me on Instagram at resiliency underscore coaching 
R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E underscore coaching. And thanks for tuning in to After the Glory. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary's turn with Lucy Singh, our guest from the world of soccer, Amobi Okugo. Um, frugal athlete. Okay, you go. These are important uh, platforms, important things in your life. Tell us about them. Let's start with the foundation. Okay, you go. Yeah, thank you so much for allowing me to share space with the Okay, You Go Foundation. So essentially, you know, being a soccer player, we do a lot of community work within our our respective teams. And, you know, I was always a part of those initiatives, but um, it was always, I don't want to say like one-off scenarios where we'd come in, do an appearance, and then never see them again. So for me personally, I wanted to do some stuff, you know, that were as more like everlasting and then stuff in my community where I grew up. And um, that was basically it, you know, and then obviously a Kugo, okay, you go. I felt like it was just like already, it was like God telling me, do something with this name I gave you for a reason. Written in uh, the stone. <laughs> yeah, written in the it. stone. So yeah, the okay, you go foundation is essentially where we try to help uh, underserved communities with the resources to uh, not only be self-sufficient, but, you know, to help and in turn help their communities with the resources that we provide through athletic, educational, and social programs. Love it. Frugal athlete. So a frugal athlete. Yeah. So I saw the 30 for 30 broke documentary and it like completely changed my life in terms of, you know, why aren't there athletes that I could use as role models and roadmaps and not to say that uh, there weren't any, but it just wasn't being talked about on a consistent basis. And I was always interested in business and finance. I think part of it was because of doing school at the time. And uh, so after watching that, I was doing research and I was like, all right, who are some athletes that I could use as role models and roadmaps? And uh, I kept seeing LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, and Tom Brady. And no disrespect to those athletes, but those are anomalies. Those are superstars of the highest mm-hmm. echelon. Uh, mm-hmm. So I did more research and I kept finding athletes that fit the model of the broke documentary that I was trying to get away from. And not to mm. say scare tactics don't work, but you can only learn so much from like, oh, this guy got scanned or this girl made a bad um, investment thing. So I was like, all right, let me create a platform where I'm showcasing athletes, the elite middle-class athletes uh, that are doing it the right way um, from a prudent financial practices and smart career decisions that I kind of highlight as frugal athletes. And that's kind of how it started, you know, started as like a blog. I would just pick an athlete that I thought represented what it means to be a frugal athlete. And then from there, it's turned into a full-blown uh, company, I guess. Amen. Well, and I, th- I think several of our guests on After the Glory would fit right in that mold for sure. You know, it's a mar- remarkable. We had a um, guest in early on and uh, well, a couple of seasons ago, former Cincinnati Red baseball player named George Foster, who during the uh, period of time after the George Floyd tragedy um, was part of the group of athletes that marched in Minneapolis to bring awareness and I'm curious about your view regarding the, the um, particularly the African-American athlete. I mean, let's face it. We use the word African-American. We throw that around. You truly are uh, African-American you know, from the great continent of Africa that I've, I've been privileged to go to. Um, and, but growing up in America, you, you brought your culture um, and you obviously have seen the, the, the racism that still exists in our country. And yet you hear certain people on the radio say things like, well, you know, to LeBron James, shut up and dribble. Um, 
this has to change, and I assume that you feel the same. What do you feel you can do uh, with your platform, particularly with children uh, who are playing soccer? It's one of the most popular games for kids in the country. What can you do to, to bridge that gap and, and provide the inspiration to kids? Oh, that's a great point. I think for me, it's, you know, being an outlet. I think a lot, one of the things that we stress with the OK You Go Foundation is uh, excellence through exposure. So if I can expose mm-hmm. them to the beautiful game and all the wonderful things that it's done for me, you know, I've, I've traveled around the world. In name a country, I've probably been there. And that's because of what soccer has been able to provide me. And not from the standpoint of you have to go pro in soccer, but the fact that soccer or any sport, there's other opportunities to get involved or there's different things that you can learn from the lessons and disciplines and the principles that you do or gain from playing sports that you can apply to your own daily life from a personal development standpoint, from a career development standpoint. And I think that's that's what it's all about. So excellence through exposure and access and opportunity. So for me, that's what I'm all about. If I can use my my platform, my resources to showcase that, then uh, we'll have more uh, young kids in these communities, you know, inspired to do whatever it may be uh, in a positive light. Amobi, as you're getting ready to hang up your jersey more permanently than you may want to, (laughs) tell us a little bit about what is exciting you what even the smallest things like sitting down and reading a book I I see that you enjoy flying your drone what are some of the things that being a professional athlete being a professional student you were not able to make time for that you're looking forward to doing now oh my goodness being able to be around the family and not Mm. miss the family events so uh you know prior during my career I was like you know our family did a thing where we'd have like a a weekly not a weekly, sorry, a FaceTime to, for everyone to link up for the, like a birthday and we wish each other a happy birthday. Now I could be in person. Um, my cousin's getting married next week. It's not like, oh, well, let me see if we have a bye week. I, I can't go. No, I'm going to be there. My One of my Amen. best friends is getting married in May. So these are the events that I you know, was able to sacrifice, you know, fortunately, but now I'm going to have time to be able to attend and be a part of. And, you know, those are the things that uh, I'm really fortunate enough to you know, have the opportunity to do. Are, are you moving back to the Sacramento area? You're going to stay in Texas. So home base right now is Sacramento, but you know, I can't sit still. So I'm mobile. <laughs> so if I need to get out to, to LA, I'm actually in Austin right now in the, at the time of this recording. So, uh, but Sacramento is going to be home base, but definitely want to be able to plant some seeds in uh, some other locations. We'll be well. jet setting for sure. <laughs> let, let me, let me close with this. When you go over to a, a field, let's say where a group of eight-year-olds are playing soccer and you step out on the pitch and you just kind of hang out with the kids. Um, what do you see? What, what, what sorts of challenges do you see the kids are having and, and where do you see uh, the sport 20 years from now as these young kids are just starting? Uh, I think the challenge is like some of the kids, you know, play free, you know, I think now with, uh, and no disrespect to the evolution of the game, but with the data involved and like the structure and the robotics behind, like you got to do this before you do that, before that, it's like, nah, just play, go on the field, get a ball, get some goals and just play free. Cause I think that's when the uh, creativity comes. That's when the intuition of just how to get out of pressure or how mm. to do something, things that you just, you can't, you can't teach that. There's no personal trainer in the world or 
no film that you can watch that can teach you besides getting on the field and just trying and doing and messing up and going again and messing up and going again. And um, I think when I'm playing with young kids or if I'm on the field or if I'm, you know, hosting the clinic, that's what we try to promote. Like, all right, we're going to give you the structure and the basics to learn and, you know, succeed. But when it's time to play and, you know, be creative, that's why that's when the great players show themselves. Like they have something different where if everyone's doing the same thing, then you're not standing out. You know, I'm next year, I'm going to have a chance to go to uh, uh, Rwanda. My wife and I are going on a trip to Rwanda to see the, uh, to Volcanoes National Park. Yeah. Uh, we, we've already been to Kenya and Tanzania. We've not been to Nigeria. And I'm okay. curious for our listeners, your parents' home in Nigeria, what's it like? And, and where is that country going? And do you anticipate wanting to make a difference there as well? Almost definitely. So my parents are very involved in, within our, our specific community, our, our tribe, uh, the Igbo tribe, but specifically the Arochuku Amuvi village uh, community. So they're involved um, helping the diaspora uh, amongst the United States and uh, Europe to, you know, give back to causes back then. So uh, as uh, as the firstborn, I got to help carry the torch and uh, lead the next generation. And uh, we have a good group of the young guys and gals helping give it back. So that's that's my biggest uh, initiative uh, moving forward down the road. Amen. I got to gotta plant some seeds here first. Um, but when it comes to Nigeria as a country in my specific community, in my, uh, the village that, where my parents were raised and born, it's calming. You know, I, I went back a couple, no, not a couple years ago now, four years ago, going back in December, uh, God willing, um, I didn't have like internet like I did, but it wasn't like a problem. I didn't have an alarm clock. I would wake up by the sounds of the the animals, nature. the nature, <laughs> you know, sunlight, you know, just fresh air. Sounds beautiful. Fresh food. Yeah. And it wasn't like the kids are just happy. And it's like, yo, we're not playing video games. We're not doing this. And they're just like you know, playing outside and just fun. So it gives you a different appreciation of life. Uh, it moves at a little bit of a slower pace when it just gives you time to appreciate things in a different in a different light. And I have a feeling, Moby, that this, if we can get past this pandemic and get back to a world that's living with each other and and not where we're all sort of stuck inside um, and, and not living in two dimensions instead of three, we'll all be better off. It's, a, pri it's a privilege to meet you, Lucy. Close us out and... Uh, uh, just a privilege to get to uh, spend this time with you. Well, I just uh, like to say that, you know, I found a Moby through social media. I just got to be <laughs> frank about that. And we are of the same age generation. We might even have some mutual friends. We went to UCLA around the same time. But immediately when I saw the content that Moby was providing on social media, I had to reach out. He was so generous with his time in being featured as one of my keynote speakers on one of the resiliency summits. And just that you know, genuine personality, the immediate willingness to contribute to something that he had no clue about. He was, all he did was say yes. There was no hesitation. And that type of personality is what we know will change the world one day already. Thanks oh, thank you, you for joining so us, Moby. We really appreciate your time. This is After the Glory with Lucy saying Gary Stern, our special guest, Amobi Akugo. Until next time. Thank you guys. You guys are legends. This was great. Lucy and I hope you enjoyed this edition of After the Glory. 
As we leave you until next time, we want to thank our team. Our producer, Mark Allen. Executive producer from Podclips, Mike Anderson. And our sound engineer and editor, the insane Daryl Wayne. We are also grateful for music by T. Dan Hofstede. And as we close out this episode of After the Glory, we honor our guest with our theme song, written and sung by my brother in baseball, T. Dan, the master of music from the islands and the slack key guitar. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and athletic. Living the dream on a shooting star. Hometown crowd cheering what you are. Living large and riding high. Razzling and dazzling across the sky. Back in the day, so young and strong. Work or play, you can do no wrong. But when that ride is What you gonna do after the glory? Step back and take inventory. Checking out new territory. Not every day will be congratulatory. Hopefully you're still revelatory. Come on down.